Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. It is Pride Month, y'all, and I am bringing on a repeat guest to FML Talk, and it is such a good fucking episode. We are welcoming back the one and only Barrett Paul. So sit back, grab a cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Okay, y'all. Barrett Paul is one of my favorite people on the internet right now. He does such important activist work and he is such a kind, amazing fucking human. I knew I wanted to have him back on to have this conversation. He launched a new series of how to raise better men, how to raise better boys and essentially how to raise better humans because the lines between being a little boy and being a little girl, like we are all just people. And we are therefore all just raising little fucking humans. I knew that I wanted to bring him on to dive into this. It is such a powerful episode. I do want to preface this with a few trigger warnings. We get in to a lot of different topics. So I'm going to preface this with sexual assault trigger warning. There's also a little bit of, you know, we talk about the dangers of whether you should or shouldn't post your kids online and a series that he did around that. So we get into a little bit of the predators on the internet, which can be tough to hear. But it is a very important episode, whether you are raising kids or existing with kids or existing with men that used to be kids. This is such a fucking invaluable episode. We also just jumped on and started shooting the shit. So instead of being like, okay, hey, Barrett, welcome to FML Talk, like you're just going to hear us jump in very organically to this interview because we are now so comfortable with each other. And it was such a lovely conversation that really has a lot of very, very valuable lessons, ideas, and just thoughts, like education for you to make your own decisions on how you feel on some of these hot topics that have been coming up a lot in recent days. Okay, you guys, here we go. Mr. Barrett Paul. Hello. Hi, love. How are you? You know, that's a loaded question these days. Oh, God. I'm, <laughs> I'm good overall. Yeah. I am feeling like I am going through something interesting and have to figure out what is best for me and not everyone else, which I'm not great at. Yeah. Um, and pride this year just feels extra weird with all just like the hate that is so unnecessary and everywhere. But removing myself from that, I in my own world, I'm good. How are you? You're pregnant. Congratulations. You're married. Congratulations. So many things have happened. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am good uh, comparatively to like other women's horror stories of being pregnant. Like this has been a breeze. Um, I'm Amazing. just 
entering into the stage where I'm like, oh, things are getting a little more difficult and uncomfortable. Cool. (laughs) And like definitely have had to like recognize the fears and like weird hormonal shit that has come up like in waves. But other than that, Mm. again, big picture zooming out. I'm good. (laughs) Good. Grateful to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sending you love for whatever it is that, you know, you feel like you're navigating. I feel like a lot of the people in my life collectively, like my husband, myself, like have felt like the past couple months, there's been shit coming to the forefront to be unearthed and like cleared out for like the big stuff everybody's been manifesting to kind of like come in. And that's always super yeah. fucking uncomfortable for what that's yeah, worth. Definitely. And I think and you will probably be able to relate to this is that, you know, a lot of the work that I do and that we do creating content is done at like our own expense. Yeah. And I think that sooner than later, especially now that so many more people are creators and there's more people that are being like, wait, this isn't all I thought it was going to be. The conversation of like how much of social media is really exploitation is going Mm -hmm. to be really interesting. Yeah. Well, you're in a whole different realm of like, you're doing really, really important work on the internet, you know, like, so I can't, I can't even imagine what that's like to bring some of the topics that you discuss on your platforms to bring those to the forefront and open that up for the wild people on the internet to then give their fucking opinions and criticize and like have something to say about it. It's a whole different level than like what normal creators are doing, I think. Yeah, I still think even though normal creators are being taken advantage of and like we are expected to pump out stuff like daily at this point in the hopes that maybe a brand will want to work with us or that like something will align that is fruitful and lucrative when realistically like without everyone creating all the content that they're creating social media is nothing so it's like these big platforms really need to think about taking care of their creators especially the ones that have been there for years and really fostered communities and kept people on those platforms yeah i so agree everyone's so sick of the fucking algorithm game i really want to talk about this new series that you're doing because the second i saw it i was like Yes, I love that he's doing this. (laughs) Obviously, I am pregnant with a boy. Also, it's almost weird. Like, I have like five friends right now that are also pregnant or have just given birth, all boys. Mm. And I genuinely think it's because the universe was like, we need less shitty men on this planet. Let's give them to these women (laughs) to birth and raise them properly. (laughs) So when I saw you doing this series, I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. And it spans not just for people that are going to be raising children, raising boys. I think it really spans to understanding how some full-grown adult men got to where they are, being able to like understand them from their perspective more, which I think is so important in any dynamic when you're trying to like help people grow or heal or even to just coexist with them. So give me a little bit of background of like why you wanted to do this specific series. Yeah, so this new series called How to Raise Better Men has been something that I've played with for a really long time. I don't think a lot of people will be surprised when I tell them this next little story. But at the same time, I think a lot of people will be. I have always said that my main goal is to get straight men in my love army, in my community, and bring them to the conversation. Because without them wanting to make the change on their own, we're not going to see change. And so as I really stand in this feminist space with women, with femme presenting people, with queer people. There has been the easy, I don't want to say it's easy, but there's been the organic experience for me to want to stand with those people and to call out the shitty behavior of predominantly cishet men as they sit at the top of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. However, I've always said we're going to need them to want to give up some of their power for it to change because without them wanting to do that, we can try and take it as much as we want, but that's not realistically going to work and be sustainable long term. We're not going to get to a place of peace and love and joy by consistently fighting. And so for me, 
the past few years have been the hard work of really presenting and showing the problems because you have to see the problem and admit the problem before you start to fix the problem. And I am really grateful that so many women, a lot of moms have come to the Love Army and have really just kind of looked at me as a, again, I'm I'm very humbled by this, a North Star for what their sons could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me a little bit emotional to think about because growing up, I felt like I was the wrong thing and that I was not what a little boy should be. And I worked really hard to hide the parts of myself that so many people have been so kind and welcoming to. And so I very much was like, it's time to lean into some joy and some lighter stuff and present things that are real actionable steps for people to take in their life for the men and boys that they are around. Because realistically, while it's how to raise better men, it's also how to like incorporate the men in our lives and make them feel a little bit more seen and loved because everyone's hurting. Mm -hmm. Everyone is hurting right now. We have a system that has failed almost all of us. And I don't believe in winners and losers. I believe we're either winning together or collectively losing together. And I think we're collectively losing. And so, you know, one of the first things that I presented was buy your son's flowers. And everything I I say is also very, very, very much also a thing for the women and girls in your life. Yeah. And I say that no matter what kind of parents you are, that these apply to you. But I really wanted to lean in and give some, as they like to call themselves, quote unquote, boy moms, some guidance, because really at the end of the day, you're just raising a human. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Yeah. And I think that's so important to remember. It's like, it's not fostering a boy versus a girl. It's just fostering a little soul. When my mom found out that I was pregnant with a boy after like the shock subsided, (laughs) because we were all convinced (laughs) that I was having a girl. She was like, I don't even know what to do with the boy. I'm like, mom, it's literally the same thing. They just have an extra appendage. (laughs) It's no different in like raising a human. Totally. So I I want to talk a little bit about some of the action steps that you've talked about in this series so far. I know the series is like just ramping up and it's getting new. But what's the reasoning behind buying a boy flowers? A really sad fact that a lot of people don't know is that most men receive flowers for the first time at their funerals. Oh, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Like it's it's a sad thing when you put it out there and you're like, wow, that's that's really sad. Flowers are beautiful. They're, you know, kind of an unnecessary gift to give to someone because they are not permanent. But I think that lack of permanence speaks to like how beautiful that, that gift can be. And knowing that little boys are not being treated the same way as little girls and vice versa. I think there needs to be a shift on both sides. But you know, we've struggled for so long to question why men lack this emotional intelligence. And it's because it's not been fostered with these antiquated gender norms at a young age. And so, you know, we're quick to give little boys weapons, but we're not going to give them flowers. And then we're like, why do they love guns? Where it's like, right. maybe if we didn't give them these things at a young age and showed them like, hey, the things that we're giving to girls can also be given to you 
And on top of that, you're going to see why giving them feels so good because you understand what it's like to get them. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It, it allows them to be like, oh, I'm appreciated. This feels like someone decided to do something nice for me. They're so pretty. Like, and that should be accepted from a young age. It shouldn't be like, oh, my gifts are only trucks and, you know, things that are gender norm stereotypes. Like, why wouldn't they be able to be gifted with something that's beautiful? And I love that you also say, and then they know how wonderful it feels to get them. So when they get to that older age of wanting to make someone else feel good, like that's a sense memory for them. Like, oh, it felt so good when mom gave me flowers that one day. Like, maybe I should do that for this person or back to mom or whoever. Yes, exactly. I mean, the thing that has really made me excited for the series is that, again, I'm saying moms, I, I've gotten some messages from dads, but it's been mostly moms, which is also something we need to work on, because it's not just the mom's job to do this. Right. Um, but I've gotten messages from moms being like, you know, I got my son flowers, and he was so excited and so happy. There was this one mom in the UK who wrote me a message and sent a photo where she blocked out his face, and I was grateful for that. But it was like her handing him the flowers as she picked him up from school. And he was like, Mommy, why did you get me flowers? And she was like, I just wanted to show you that I loved you and I thought that they were pretty and I thought you might like them. And he was like, I love them and gave her a big Aww. hug. And then as they were walking home from school, he saw one of his little friends and was like, my mommy got me flowers. Like, right? Like that's the kind of joy that I want to be able to gift to other people and hear those stories because the past years of the stuff that I have covered has been very dark and very heavy and very hard and I'm extremely sensitive and that has weight on me. So being able to take that stuff and really see the impact of what it did and what it what it's been able to do and translate that into something beautiful is where I'm like, this is exactly the, the direction I hope to not only go for myself, but encourage other people to start moving in as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the other things that you would recommend teaching or doing for our boys as they're growing up to kind of like break that normal stereotype? The biggest one is just, again, what we've already started talking about is just remembering that your child is just a child and that the idea of them being a boy or girl is something that has been deeply rooted in antiquated ideas that really exist to separate the sexes and more than anything, harm both of them. You know, like as we really think about what are the things we're teaching little girls and what are the things we're teaching little boys, it's that, you know, little girls need a boy or need a man where realistically we should be teaching them independence and freedom mm -hmm. for little boys that they, you know, should be this protector and that they're there to protect everyone where it's like, well, maybe we focus on not needing protection and being good people, you know? Right. Because when you're a good person, you're going to step in when you see something wrong is going on rather than walking around telling everyone that you're here to protect them when they're like, we need protection from you. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, who's the person you're protecting us from, right? Yeah. That's one of the things I kind of laugh at is we hear men say that they're protectors. Were realistically, statistically speaking, men commit over 90% of sexual crimes. Who are the men protecting us from? Right. And then going into this, you know, I talk about the need for parents to really start having conversations at a young age. And I don't know what that age is. That's a person to person, parent to child, family to family decision. But having real honest conversations about sex and consent and pornography, mm -hmm. because today kids are going to be exposed to it at a very young age, an age I don't even want to think about because it's so young. And if you're avoiding that conversation, what you're essentially doing is running away from it. And when we run away from things, that thing is in control. But if we run towards it, we have more control. Right. So while it's not a comfortable, quote unquote, conversation to have, it's so necessary. And like, I just think about I grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, similar to you. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing porn at the beginning stages where it wasn't even like videos, you were probably Googling like an image of something. And I was around like 11 or 12. And that was before smartphones. So like, I mean, the second kids are together without parental, you know, guidance. Right. And I had a mom tell me, you know, that they have all the blocks on like pornography and all the different things that, you know, they thought maybe they would be able to, you know, hold him off from seeing. 
he went onto Amazon and Googled like stuff and was able to find things that he could like buy on Amazon that had pictures of like naked women and naked people and things of that nature. Right. So the other thing that I like to then add on to this conversation is that remember your kids are probably smarter than you at this point when it comes to technology. <laughs> You know, the same way that we are with our parents, like it's this, it's going to continue in that way. The younger generation, their brains adapt and are able to grab things like sponges so they can move around technology faster than us at these, you know, quote unquote, older ages can. Mm -hmm. And that's something to be mindful of as we continue to see technology shape us more than us shape technology, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So when you're approaching that conversation, because it's obviously not a comfortable conversation to have on either end for the parent or Mm -hmm. the child. How with the way you grew up, how would you have appreciated someone coming and having that conversation with you? So I don't talk a lot about my parents. I don't have the best relationship with them as an adult. But I will say that as a child, they did some things right. And I definitely give them credit where credit is due. And I'm grateful that I had parents that were accepting of me being me and they didn't need to put a label on it. And they were like, you know, you want a Barbie? We'll get you a Barbie. You want to learn about art and more sensitive things? We're cool with that. Mm -hmm. I was also super into like superheroes and the Ninja Turtles. And I was a Power Ranger and I was a competitive swimmer. So like, I think the best thing that my parents did was they were honest with me at a younger age about the way things worked. I didn't get like the birds and the bees. I got like, there's, you know, bodies and bodies do these things and male bodies do this and females bodies do this. And I mean, queerness wasn't really a part of the conversation when I was growing up. I think we're at a different place with that now. And I think, you know, again, deciding when is right for you and your family to talk about queerness, but not avoiding queerness because whether or not you want your kids to be queer, there could be the chance that they are. And rather than them sitting in silence and suffering, letting them know that like these are things that are out there in an unsexualized way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's the other problem is we've seen so many adults sexualized children in this way that is like queerness is not about sex. At the end of the day, in my opinion, it's about like who you love and how you identify and sex can be a part of that. But you know, again, that can happen at a later point in the conversation if that's what you decide. Mm -hmm. But really just being honest, I think not creating flowery Disney, fake made up stories and just being like, look, this is what it is. And these things can change and you can change. But yeah, I think the time period for that stuff has passed. We've seen how that's done more harm than good. And again, because of technology, they're going to be exposed to it. So rather than wait for them to find it on their own and be around people who don't know what they're talking about, usually kids their own age, let them know that this stuff is out there and it doesn't have to be sexualized. I say I was raised kind of European, like bodies were not something that we were supposed to be embarrassed about, but it wasn't like, you know, (laughs) you have to be in this or not be in that. It was like, your body is your body. You should love it. You should take care of it and you should be proud of it. And I think that that has become I don't know. I think we're at a weird place that's also important because of the conversations that are finally happening around child exploitation, around grooming, around all these things that are very serious that I am a survivor of, not at the hands of my parents, but out of of an industry. And so I wish that I had had more knowledge on that stuff as a young person so that I could have gone, oh, wait, this is what's happening and this is not okay. But yeah, I mean, these conversations go off into so many different directions. So I'm more curious of like, Where's your mind at? What did, what do you have questions for with all of this? What are stuff that you had growing up that you are grateful for? And what's something that you wish was different? Yeah, I mean, my look, my mom is probably at the top of the, the totem pole of like parents that like just did a good fucking job, especially with like all the shit that she was th- thrown at throughout my childhood. Mm. The thing I think I'm most grateful for is that she always supported anything I wanted to do as long as it was like healthy and safe for me. So if I wanted to dance, like it was dance. If I wanted to do soccer, it was soccer. Like if I wanted to try karate, it was like anything I wanted to try, she really fostered that creativity in me. And it was, it Mm. was very like, I never felt like 
I couldn't try something or I couldn't do something. I was a tomboy growing up. So like mm-hmm. I was on the, I was on like the baseball teams, like was the only girl playing most of the time. And I think that really allowed me to feel like when I went outside my core, you know, family, I wasn't afraid to be like, oh, this is something I want or, oh, hey, I'm going to try this. Like it allowed me to Mm. have that freedom to be like, any of this is okay. And like you said, you know, your parents bought you a Barbie, which I think is fucking awesome. Like it's it's like that. Like if I wanted to play with like Hot Wheels, they got me a set of Hot Wheels. Like I also had my Barbies, you know, like it was it, it wasn't like a gender thing. It was more just like, what is she interested in? How can we foster her creativity? And one of the best tips that my mom has given me as far as like parenting advice is you just have to get to know your child because they're their own person. They're their own personality. And like, you have to get to know them and then foster what they're going to do. And they're going to change every day to week to year she's like still gabrielle i think that like i have you figured out and i'm like i'm gonna buy her this and she's gonna love it and you're like mom that's fucking whack like what do you mean do you not know me at all she's like you still change all the time so i think that was one of the things that i was most grateful for i wish and this is gonna get into kind of like a a little bit of a darker subject i had a conversation with one of my girlfriends the other day who has a kid already. She has another one on the way and she's on the side. This is also going around TikTok very intensely right now. So I'm sure you've seen it. The conversation of like, do you have sleepovers or do you not have sleepovers? Mm -hmm. And there's the side of the conversation where people are like, some of the best times in my childhood was at sleepovers. Like, why Mm -hmm. would you deprive your kids from sleepovers? What do you mean? Like, it's so fun and it's great, you know, interaction. And then the other side is every time I was sexually assaulted as a child was at a sleepover, usually by another kid or by like an older sibling or a parent, which is terrifying to think of that side of it. I was lucky enough to not have any experiences like that. However, my friend who I was having a conversation with did and she was like, no, sleepovers are off the table. So that I think... And I, I'm not saying I have an answer to this because I don't because I, I see both sides of it and I'm torn when I like get to making those types of decisions. But I wish there was more like a, a better way to educate kids on certain behaviors. You know, when you get to the like 10 to 11 to 12 year old yeah. ages, like I know that I personally had experiences with other kids that were both of us consensually like playing games that if a parent saw they'd be like what the fuck are you guys doing this is probably not Mm. okay but it was Mm. both of us like you know playing around and experimenting like you do at that age so I wish there was more of a conversation for kids to educate them on how to a certain extent that can be okay if the two of you are doing things consensually or experimenting in a certain type of way. But this is the line that you can't cross. And this is how it gets different. And I think that's very blurred, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. To pick up on what you were saying, you know, something that's important to remember is that kids can't fully consent because they don't have the full informed understanding of all of that. Right. And I think that's what you're getting to. I think what you're saying is like, I wish there was a way to have more conversation essentially about consent at younger ages. Yeah. And that's part of that will be part of actually the series is talking about how important consent is and letting kids understand that at a sooner, younger age so that they can at least understand and be aware that like, hey, there's this thing that you need to be aware of as you get older, and it's going to change as you get older, as you understand more. You know, like, I think back to some of the really bad experiences I've had in my love and dating life. And I go, you know, at one point, I was like, oh, they were just bad experiences. And then I'm like, no, those were like more than bad experiences. That was abuse. (laughs) So as we all learn, I think we're going to be able to have better conversations around that. And that's the key and why it's so important to have real informative educational things out there 
as we watch a lot of politicians and certain groups look to get rid of that stuff, I'm like, it's only harming you as well, right? right. Like that's the, the the hard part to really have some people understand. I'm really grateful that as I did a lot of child safety stuff online and had it very easy to, I don't want to say digest, but it was exemplified in a very matter of fact, quick way. And people were like, oh, whoa, this is a big thing. I had a lot of people from more of the conservative side come on, join my channels, which was confusing because, you know, as a queer person, you're like, am I about to be destroyed by these people? And they were like, supportive in a way that I was shocked because I've seen them, you know, some of these bigger outlets do some quite harmful things to my community and members that I stand with. So to have them come over, I was like, this is weird. But as I talked to some of my best friends who are educators that work with kids, I'm like, this is important. And I'm going to extend that olive branch because we need to get everyone on board when it comes to children. Like that's just to me something that's like non-negotiable should be obvious, but we're also seeing that being used as a politicized way to go after one another. But yeah, I mean, you know, sleepovers for me were with the girls. Mm. I was the little boy at the sleepover. And, you know, that in itself was confusing to some parents. And then as an adult, I know people look back and go, well, he was gay, he was queer. I'm grateful that that wasn't just put on me and at me because that was something that I was not identifying with yet. I was just me and these were just my friends and I just wanted to hang out with them the same way everyone else does. But I also think, you know, the way that these parents at such a young age look at boys and girls and are like, oh, is that your little boyfriend? Is that your little girlfriend? Yeah, That's part of the problem. And that needs to stop because then we're in many ways sexualizing the children and pushing them in that direction so that when it is time to have a sleepover, it's like, this is what we're supposed to do because you're supposed to be my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Right. You know, well, and it's it's instilling from a way too young of an age to be like, this is the sex that you're supposed to like, like yes. you're supposed to like girls or you're supposed to like boys. Yes. And, it, you know, I, I was talking to my husband's daughter, my bonus kid. She's about to be 11. And she was talking about this boy in her class that she like kind of has a crush on. And <laughs> I was like, isn't that the boy that's like in the mean group? Like, isn't he one of like the meaner kids? And she's like, yeah, well, he's a little different now. Like, he's not as mean. I was like, look, girl, if he's being mean to you, that doesn't mean he wants to poke you with a stick. And like, he really secretly has a crush on you. That means he's disrespectful. You tell him to fuck off and you walk the other way. I mean, in like so many words, but (laughs) (laughs) because I think that that's one of the biggest problems. We all, at least my generation, grew up being like, oh, well, if he likes you and he's being an asshole, it means he really likes you. Like, yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> like, that is so totally. backwards. Totally. For me, sleepovers were some of the like, you know, I, I would go and have sleepovers with the girls and it was super fun. The times that I did have sleepovers with like my, I didn't have very many little boyfriends, to be honest. And that was because I was, I was bad. I was gay and you were supposed to stay away from me. And I mean, that's being taught at home. So that's one of the reasons why I think, again, education is important. Kids don't just pick bigotry out of nowhere. That that comes from right. learning it from someplace. But one of the big ones that I'm really excited to talk about, and I've talked about before on my channel, but like a while ago, so I know it's been lost in like the sea of content, is how important it is to have little boys play with dolls. Mm. And this is a multi-layered thing because where my brain initially went with this is that, you know, dolls increase nurturance and help anyone start to realize that like taking care of something is something that all genders can do and that is not you know supposed to be just on the women's shoulders as we've seen so many moms talking about like weaponizing competence and how a lot of dads don't do their part the other thing about dolls outside of just teaching little boys how to nurture and like give that love in a healthy way so that when they are adults, and if they do decide to be dads, it's more organically already built into them, is that dolls, and this is a, a, a really interesting piece of information that one of my bestest, bestest friends who's a special educator told me is dolls are something that increase verbal communication because dolls mm-hmm. talk, where trucks and toys and weapons don't have 
you know, the, the same idea of like talking and mouths and are like humans. And right. so the more that we give boys dolls as well, the more they are going to be able to really form much better levels of communication, which is one of the biggest things that I think is lacking for a lot of men as we hear how they're struggling, but don't know how to communicate that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, not just talking about like Barbies, like baby dolls, like any type of, you know, what would be something that you would take care of and, you know, dress and put to sleep and nurture like the nur it's the nurture aspect that's so important. Totally. And again, it's not about one specific type of toy. I think all children should experience all types of toys minus the weapons. Yeah. And that can kind of go into like the next part of the conversation and and we are getting more and more information about this. I mean, I studied a bit of this in college when I was studying communication is that the violence that we are watching and consuming consistently is having a real effect on everyone, but especially children as they are being desensitized to what mm -hmm. violence is, what violence looks like, to what harming one another looks like and what that does. And so as it continues on that path, I'm really encourage all parents to have a mindful conversation to set up real formal boundaries with your kids and video games, especially yeah. the violent ones. Yeah. I mean, kids are getting lost in these virtual worlds where, you know, they think nothing of killing stuff. And then right. we're like, why is, you know, why are we having these insane amounts of mass shootings? Yeah. And it's crazy too, because as my mom kept me pretty sheltered, like I vividly remember when I would watch certain movies, like if there was something sexual that was like inappropriate, she would cover my eyes. If there was something that was overly violent, like we either didn't see it or she would cover my eyes. So it's so much now in movies and in video games. And even with how well my mom did protecting me from that, now as an adult, I will watch a movie. And if a human dies in it, I'm like, oh, that sucks. But like, it's not if a fucking dog or like an animal <laughs> goes down, I'm like, I, I can't recover. And that alone, there's an issue in that. Like, why yeah. are we so desensitized to like a human life not being like a huge deal? Valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, consciously in our minds, when we sit here and think about it, we know that it is. But like, the reaction that we have when we see those things on screen, that's real. And that's a problem. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not just video games. It is the news. It is media. It is right. everything that we are sitting in consuming. It's social media. And, you know, the fact that we have now had multiple people filmed as they are dying and has gone viral on social media speaks to the problem and where we're at as a collective society, not just children, right? Right. And so if adults are becoming desensitized to this, then of course, they're going to be desensitized to the things that their kids are consuming and playing with. Yeah. You know, my I mentioned my best friend a lot. I mean, she's my partner in crime when everyone gets to meet her at some point. She's been informally in and out of my social media as we did my really big hike in 2016 together. Her name's Stacy. She's wonderful. Shout outs to Stacy. Hi, Stacy. <laughs> yeah, no, she really is like the best. She, she's the one that's the special educator. And she and I were talking as, you know, we're starting the next chapter of our lives. Like you were getting engaged and married and there's babies coming. And, you know, just the amount of friends we have whose partners sit and consume video games for hours and hours and hours and they're sitting there, you know, killing stuff. It's like, right. how is this fun to you? Like asking right. that question to them. And I don't even think a lot of people have even asked themselves that question. So yeah. just presenting it is so important. But I really am not a fan of violence. I've never liked fighting. I've never liked watching people get hurt. I mean, the occasional fall thing where they're okay afterwards and you know, it's right, going to be okay. Right. Like it's, <laughs> it's funny. Like we're all human on that level. Right. But I really do get nervous with the amount of stuff that is being pushed into gaming, knowing that gaming is one of the fastest growing industries. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. Even just the advertisements I get when I'm playing like Scrabble on my phone because I'm not paying for the app in between, <laughs> you know, is like a mother and a child shivering. And it's like, 
help them get heat. And I'm like, why are we making this into a game? Like, right. this is fucked up. <laughs> right, right. Like, this is a problem, not something that should be, like, the basis of a game. Yeah, like, we've yeah. gamified a lot. And even just stuff like basic humanity has been kind of taken and used against us. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think any of us have the right answer. That's why we're still figuring it out. But I do think that there's a lot of people working in the right direction. And I'm really grateful that, you know, we have people like you who are having kids and like wanting to have these conversations and parenting as a whole is being talked about and people are seeing different ways to be a parent. It's wonderful. I want to touch on and like, look, I know very well before I ask this, that this could be its own fucking episode (laughs) because I've seen your content. Well, but, I'm happy to come back whenever you want to have me. So you can post it. You know, you better be careful saying that before you know it. You'll be like every every month doing a guest episode. <laughs> hey, I mean, maybe it just turns into a joint podcast. I'm like, I love it. Here we go. I'm God, down to DMs chat with are, you. My DMs are about to be flooded. So there's this whole discussion on whether we post our kids online or not. I've had this discussion with my husband. I can Google pictures of myself from the times that I was very small, being on red yeah. carpets with my parents. I love that because mm. I lost my dad when I was young and I can go to a computer and type in his name and see pictures of him and see pictures of him and my mom and him and my mom and me. I never mm. had a problem looking back and being like, oh, my privacy, oh, my this. Also, because I went into an industry where I'm very public. And look, I'm not saying we have to have the discussion of like, what's the answer, but I want to get your viewpoint on things because I know there are a lot of concerns with the social media stuff. And I think the more we can at least educate people to, to be able to make an educated decision, because I look at my life and I'm like, how am I not going to share my kid on social media? Mm -hmm. So much of my life and my fan base and like, my readers and now my listeners like are invested in this journey with us. Mm. Like we got more excited support from like people around the world that have no idea who we actually are just because they've been Mm. following our journey and our love story when we announced our pregnancy. And it was so heartwarming and beautiful. I'm like, how are we not going to share that? And from a point I get from a standpoint of parents, like you're like, this makes me so happy. Look at like this beautiful family I've created. So I'd like for you to kind of touch on the main points of the flip side of that, of why it's dangerous and why maybe I, people, everyone need to think twice about that. Absolutely. And, you know, I always start by saying that I am so excited that you love your child so much and think they are the most amazing thing. I wish that was every parent and their child. That means that you love them a lot. But because you love them, that much, I'm going to assume that you want to do anything in your power to protect them. And what we are seeing now, I mean, like right now this week, is that social media platforms have intentionally allowed pedophiles and predators the means and access to one another to exploit and abuse children. And for anyone that doesn't know me, I had a viral series that went viral on every single platform. And it was a dark series and it really broke me. Makes me sad just thinking about the things that I unfortunately had to uncover and unearth for people to get to listen. But it was adults very, very obviously in public on social media. Again, they they were not hiding, going and finding other adults that were exploiting children and using these things as tools to get access to them in different ways. There are so many things being uploaded every second that it is impossible for these social media platforms to keep track of everything. Something that a lot of people don't know is they outsource a lot of their moderation to other countries where the laws are different. Therefore, the things that we would consider illegal are not necessarily illegal, so they don't get flagged the same way. That's important as you think about, you know, is this being monitored through the eyes of a Malaysian or an Indonesian? What is the laws there versus Mm -hmm. here in America? There are way more people out there than you would imagine who are looking to harm and abuse children. 
and they are able to get access to your child the second that you put them out there publicly. And a lot of people think it's not going to happen to them and then it happens to them and they are mortified because there are thousands and thousands of pictures and videos and things that were done with good intentions and fun spirit that are now being used against them. You know, it's really easy to figure out someone's whole life through a quick little six degree separation of post and other things that you can Google quickly on the internet. While I'm really grateful that you look back on those things with joy from your own childhood and past, we live in a different time. AI is changing the way things work and how we can generate, you know, videos that are not real with your face on them and your voice and make it look like it's 100% authentic. And the biggest thing when it comes back to social media and posting kids online is that kids can't consent. You know, they do not have the ability to say that this is something I do or don't want to be a part of. And even when they're little and they think it's fun, they still don't understand the real magnification of when you zoom out how many people are really consuming you and consuming this there's a young woman who i'm blanking on her first name her last name is barrett that's why it's easy for me to remember (laughs) i want to say i could find her name i'm sure pretty quickly I've, i've amplified her voice because she is one of these children that comes from this like big family account where her mother was sharing everything from her first period to she was in a car accident. And instead of like worrying about getting her out of the car, she was like filming her being like ripped out with the jaws of life. Yeah. And so she's one of these quite vocal young people who speaks about the real dangers of being a young person that is put online and not Mm. understanding it. Because then she went to make on her own channel where she kind of just was giving up everything. And then it kind of like clicked, like none of this is okay. Mm. Right. So... The biggest ones that I always say are, you know, your kids can't consent as much as you want to think they, they can and they're having fun. Of course, they're having fun. They're having fun with you. They don't realize mm-hmm. that that's going out to millions or thousands or even just hundreds of people. Right. Kids are not content. If the most interesting thing about you, and I say this with love, is your children, then I need you to please step into your self-love and give <laughs> yourself some more space to have passion and hobbies and right. things that are meant only for you to take care of you, not to take care of your kids. And I know yeah. that's hard. And I know that might hurt some people to hear. But I say that again with love. As I work as a coach with a lot of moms who have lost their identity and are just a mom. And they're like, I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. But those two are the are the big ones. And I think if people really sit with like, my kids are not content and they can't consent, then that should be kind of the quick and easy discussion into why I personally believe you shouldn't put your kids online. If you choose to, there are means and steps that you can do to protect them. Blurring their face or covering their face, having Mm -hmm. the back of them is very different than putting the front of them out there. You know, having conversations with them when they're off camera so people can still hear them, but they don't have to see them. And really more than anything, it's like, I say this to you, you don't owe your audience anything when it comes Mm -hmm. to your child. They can be a part of that journey. You can share stories that you think are appropriate for you to share. But when it comes to kids, like, you know, we need to be mindful that the most saved videos on social media are of like toddlers right now. And it's not just because they're cute. Yeah, that I have been noticing that more and more a lot with like, the videos and look, they're hysterical. The videos where like the moms put the voice filter on and like narrate their baby's day. Why are those saved so much? Yeah, it's not because people. Yeah. And I can tell you, it's not because people are thinking it's cute and they're like wanting to redo it or save it. It's like people are using the stuff in a really messed up, not great way. I sympathize with parents out there because look, while there's part of me that's like, how am I not going to share? There's also part of you that just like wants to share those happy memory, like, you know, and like, and put that out there just because it's something that you're proud of and feel good about. So I, I understand why parents are conflicted around the discussion. It's tough. Totally. I get it as well as someone who's been in this public world since I was 19. I'm 35 now. I get the idea that, you know, sharing is fun. And when you're proud of something, it's nice to share that. 
But I think that even goes into a bigger conversation about where we're at as a society and why have we felt the intense need to share so much? Is it doing us more good than more harm? I mean, we're struggling with mental health in the biggest capacity that we ever have as a collective society. And I really believe that social media is a huge factor of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question when you look at the research that like to consume it, like there's toxicity in that. And it, it, that's a whole nother fucking conversation to start on with like keeping kids off of social media, like on the consumer side of it. So I appreciate your opinions on it. And I think it's good to give parents both sides to like really be educated in some of the darker things like, you know, for people that are wanting to get more specifics on this, please go check out that series that Barrett did because it's tough to watch. But I mean, there were some videos that would come up where I would like and save them and then scroll because I just mentally couldn't do it at the time. Like they're, yeah, no, they're heavy. It's super heavy. I mean, just seeing the comments of what adults are saying, again, I, I showed mostly adult men, adult cishet men saying to like, little girls we're talking sometimes as young as three was really hard to sit and look at and I think I just got into like autopilot mode where I was like I can do this you know you kind of get to like one level of fucked up and you're like well it doesn't phase me I'm desensitized to it and there was a moment where I stepped back and I was like I'm not okay this is not okay and I feel like it's important to share this because I do hope it puts a little bit more weight into the conversation as parents or, or, you know, anyone listens to this conversation is, you know, I found a link and I didn't know what that link was and doing this series of figuring out where I could like catch these predators because I was able to pinpoint where a lot of them were coming from. I put the link into my phone as I'm just, you know, again, like researching, figuring out. And the first thing that popped up was five to 17 year olds and a graphic video. And like, you never forget that kind of thing. And I would never, ever want to have any of my like friends have to face that for their children. I wouldn't want anyone and their children to have to face that. I mean, it makes me upset thinking about it because it's so messed up. Yeah. But that was one of like many. I mean, we're talking like those links disappear and there's a new one quick and ready to go because this is an integral, very well established machine that produces... I believe this child sexual exploitation, I don't even want to call it an industry because I don't think it deserves that word, but it's like, you know, we'll use that word for lack of better terminology right now. Industry is something like a $44 billion industry. Oh my God. It is the largest industry outside of drugs. And just to clarify, when these videos, that's, people finding videos and photos of kids online and then manipulating these into videos to make it seem like that's what's happening? No. So the thing I found was people full on abusing children. And it it. was just the place to go and like watch it and consume it. And it was part of the dark web. And again, little naive me has never been on the dark web. So when I'm like, what's this dot? And it's not a dot com. I'm like, And then you open it and like within the first second, it's just a video and this age specifically letting you know that this is what it's here for. Yeah. I was like, holy. For parents that are saying like, okay, but how does that connect to the danger of putting Mm -hmm. my kid on social Mm -hmm. media in like a happy photo on my Instagram? Mm -hmm. Can you kind of like explain how that links up? Yeah. So you may not have your child be you know, exploited or taken or abused and films and all these things. And I'm grateful for that. But what is happening is that, you know, these cute little images of your kids are ending up in what would be considered, you know, a Rolodex of predatory content for predators to consume and use in sexual ways. And by putting them on Instagram, you are basically giving your kids up for free to these people to add to their very extensive set of images and photos. And now with AI, and this is where we're at the cusp of this conversation, we are just starting to talk about this, it's going to be even easier to take the images that you've put up and manipulate them to be in those exploitative kind of videos or to be, you know, digitally created 
so that it looks like they're in photos where it's not actually them, but it is their likeness. Something right. that I know a lot of young women have already begun to deal with as... Yeah. Like, why is there a naked photo of me on the internet? That's clearly my face, but that's not my body. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the same thing now is being made even easier with AI technology. And there is already an uptick with children. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it just makes your fucking skin crawl. I know it's a difficult yeah. topic to talk about and to listen to, but I think it's an important conversation to have. So thank you for bringing some of that to light and clarifying that. To end this episode, we've kind of like gone, we've covered a lot of fucking like pretty solid bases in this episode so far. Yeah. I would love to know what is as... I guess as a man, but as a human, what is one of the most things you're most grateful for that you were taught as a young boy? And what's mm. one of the things that you think was the most harmful? Sure. I think one of the things I'm most grateful that I was taught as a young, as a young person, but I guess, you know, I was raised as a little boy. I identify with that, you know, identity still is that I think just like my intense love for animals and nature. I really hope that more parents start to get their kids back into nature and away from screens. I think that is going to be one of the most important things for our collective society in terms of healing. I grew up at the beach every day in the summer. Yeah. I am someone who finds the most peace at the beach. And that's not for any kind of like coincidence. It is a place that grounds you. It kind of forces you off your technology. You kind of feel silly if you're sitting on your phone at the beach the whole time. Yeah. The water reminds you that like you are so small. The sand mm -hmm. is just something that I really love. And so I hope more people get their kids back into nature and remember how important it is to, you know, for lack of better terms, touch grass. Yes. <laughs> The thing that I think was harmful for me as a little boy growing up, and it wasn't something that I learned at home, but it was something that I learned in society. You know, at the t I grew up again in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was in my classrooms. It was, you know, on the swim team. It was really everywhere. And it was just this messaging that being gay was bad. And I don't even identify with the word gay because I think that that in itself is a binary and I'm looking to look, live outside the binaries. I believe in queerness. And I think queerness can bring you in even if you do identify as heterosexual. It just says that you don't want to live in a heteronormative, patriarchal, backwards thinking place. Yeah. And so being given the space to just know that being different is not only okay, but can be celebrated is so important because, again... I wasn't worried about sex for a very long time, but that was kind of put on me. And I was like, I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm just trying to get through my life. I'm just trying to get out of this little conservative town and move someplace that's like a little bit chiller so that I can like make my life better. Yeah. But on the same token, you know, I'm curious for you, what was the things that you found to be like one of the best pieces? And what's one of the things, again, that you would like to see different? And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think, you know, there's probably something else for you there. Yeah, God, I mean, it's so funny, because I'm like, I hate to say that, like, my mom was just perfect. And I had this like blissful childhood. But like, I also had a lot of fucking trauma that was out of her control. So I feel like that kind of balanced it out. So totally. <laughs> people listening don't think that it was just like, sunshine and rainbows. But I think apart from her very much so supporting anything that I was interested in and like fostering, you know, me trying different things creatively and like whatever my passions and interests were. Besides that, I think the biggest lesson that she gave me as a child was really not to, and this was because of the trauma that I, I experienced growing up, was not to stay in the victim mentality of things when that happens. Like that you can be sad and you can grieve and you can feel your feelings, but you're eventually going to get to a fork in the road. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. And you can go right and stay in that victim mentality and be like, this is something that's always going to define me. And it's, you know, whenever I fuck up or something happens, it's like, well, because my dad died, or you can go left and be like, no, this is not going to define me. It's going to be a part of my story. And it's going to allow me to springboard into this new version of myself and like, allow it to empower me in some way. And I think that was like, such an important lesson for the other 
shit that exploded in my life throughout Mm. the years that I'm really, really grateful for. And as far as the what I felt was like a disservice to me growing up, it's difficult for me to think of one that came from my mom specifically, although I'm sure if I really sat down and racked my brain, like she is not perfect as great as she is. But I think the one that comes to mind is actually from teachers. I had Mm -hmm. a couple teachers growing up that were very stern, very like, didn't want you to be different. And I Mm. was very much like my own person growing up. And I think the teachers I had earlier on that were like, no, you need to kind of fit into this box and like sit there and be quiet and, you know, be like everybody else. That Mm. made me have issues with authority moving forward in my life. Like even to where I was out of school and it was like, you know, if a director on set were to come at me the wrong way or like anyone in the industry or anyone that like tried to like bring the hammer down in an authoritative way, I immediately was like, fuck you. Like watch Mm. who you just like walked into. And I Mm. think that did that did me a disservice because it took me a long time to unlearn that to know that healthy authority like can be a really good thing to have in life and it it definitely like I had to reprogram that throughout my older years I totally get that you know we think we know everything and that like we can take care of everything but we all need some sort of guidance at different points in our life and that's forever so you know yeah. I I vibe hard with you on that one <laughs> I love it Barrett this has been so amazing thank you for coming back on. It's rare that we we have repeat guests on FML Talk, but I felt like our first episode was more just getting to know you as a human and what you do and your story. And this was such a wonderful conversation that I think has so much good stuff for so many people to listen to. So if people want to come find you and start consuming, not all of the content is dark, guys. There's a lot of like great, fun, loving, amazing stuff, especially this new boy series that he's doing. So can you please uh, let everybody know where they can come find you? Yeah, come and join us in what I like to call our love army. You can find me on every platform, except I don't have a Twitter anymore. I got rid of that. But it's Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Last name is P-A-L-L. And it's just that. That's my handle. You can find me everywhere with the name. Anything else you want to like leave people with or direct people to? Yeah, the biggest thing that I want to leave people with is that outside of social media, I'm a life coach. I work with people one-on-one to journey through life and find what I say is more peace of mind. I joke I'm a grown-up counselor, but it's kind of become the (laughs) serious part of my job as I work with all different people of all different ages and all different backgrounds. And the biggest thing that I hope people walk away from any of my stuff knowing is that we are far more alike than we are different and we do much better working together. So as we can find more middle ground to show each other love and support, I really do think we're going to get farther than all this just back and forth and fighting. And as someone that grew up with a lot of fighting in their house, I can promise you that it doesn't do us any good. And so I, I just hope that you are kind to someone today, offer a smile, a compliment that is not based on someone's physical looks. And uh, yeah, come join the Love Army. I love it. Yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You are a star and special and I am so excited for you. And I um, look forward to seeing how you navigate this next chapter because it's a big one. Thank you, love. I so appreciate that. I genuinely want to thank Barrett so much for coming back on and diving into all of this with me. I think this was such an important conversation to be had. I hope you guys got some good stuff out of it. Please shoot me a DM and let me know what your thoughts are, how this episode resonated with you. And please go check out Barrett's content. Like his Instagram and like predominantly his TikTok like has such incredible information on it. And like I said, it's not all like super heavy stuff. There's a lot of lighter, really informative, wonderful things on there. So 
If you are celebrating Pride this month, I am extending my love to you, my support to you, my solidarity with you. I hope you are celebrating how fucking credible you are. And I am sending lots and lots of love to my LGBTQ community. You guys are in my hearts this month and every month, not only as a supporter and ally, but as someone who sees you and values what you bring to this world. Thank you, guys. I love you all, and I will see you next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatprayfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman fertility hormones, and beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.